0: Let's start the morning in prayer, if you're okay with that. Father, we just thank you for, uh, for a new day. We thank you for just your faithful direction, your faithful provision, your faithful guidance. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities to serve you. Uh, we love being your children, Lord. So, Lord, keep our hearts open. Show us ways that we can, we can better serve you this morning. Let us learn from each other. Be with us during this time. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Greg Seeger. I am a registered nurse. This is my wife, Candy, by the way. Uh, We really have a heart to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, over the years, many years ago, we saw kind of a trend. Uh, in, in missions that you know, we would see you know many years ago we would see long term missionaries come to our churches and they would uh, we would pray for them and, and we would we would learn about what they 're doing on the mission field around the world and, and we would send them out and we would support them and we would be praying for them and over time what 's happened is we see that sometimes some church bodies see primary, their primary role in missions now is is one week short term teams. And our heart was to say, how do we, uh, how do we, create an organization that, uh, of, that was a long-term organization that uh, supported healthcare professionals. So that's what we do uh, as as a ministry. We are a sending agency that was specifically created to to send healthcare professionals as long-term missionaries. We also send uh, community uh, folks working at the community level and uh, doing community health development we have a lot of folks working in hospitals around around the globe uh, but that's not why I'm here to talk to you today what I'm here to talk to you today about is how do we create uh, with short-term medical teams a long-term impact and that's where Candy and I started many years ago was was leading was leading short-term teams and uh, and we realized early on we began to study, missions from the receiving end and and what was the impact of what we were doing but also how did the local community see us of uh, so i want to talk to you a little bit about about that what that looks like but most of let me see if i can why are we not progressing in our powerpoint here hang on The there we go. Sorry, uh, I had too many, too many PowerPoints open. I'm looking at the wrong one. So, it began. To, it, one thing that began to hit us was the idea that un, of unintended consequences. So, any action we take to improve human life, of and, and respond to human need or human suffering, has unintended consequences, and and that's something that we began to discover early on. Of and actually, uh, Paul Farmer I don't know who, if anybody knows who he is uh, and uh, Arthur Kleinman do a course every, every summer at, at Harvard University uh, that's, that deals with social theory and global health. And, and this is something that undergirds everything that they talk about, the idea of unintended consequences. You know, even the best well-thought-out of mission endeavors. Uh, have unintended consequences. I'll give you an example. Haiti, there's uh, in the Arthabasche Valley, there is a a field of of you know a, a basically an area that they do a lot of rice farming. And the farmers there came to an outside NGO and they asked, would you help us do a dam project so that we can create a second crop of rice? Uh, and, and everything looked perfect. It was using outside technical expertise. It was, it was uh, labor there. It was initiated by the community. It was all the things that we think of is ideally classic community development kind of programming. But what happened? Now you've flooded the valley with, with water uh, for much longer. So what do you think the result of that was? Now you have a community that has the highest prevalence of malaria in this hemisphere, so, although it looked on the surface like a great idea, uh, and it was essentially, they, they have to, uh, but everything that we do understand is going to have an action and unintended consequence. Uh, in, in healthcare, and we talk about short term missions, I have a, this book that I wrote a few years back called uh, When Healthcare Hurts and the idea of this is not to by any means to criticize short term missions but how to help us rethink how do we do them in a way that has a positive long term impact and the questions we really have to ask when we're looking at uh, you know identifying best practices and what do they look like does your global health mission work support and promote patient safety and healthcare delivery and does and does it support human dignity and those are two things that we have to really get right if we 're going to do short term any kind of short term endeavors, but you know most one of the biggest challenges i 've seen is this patient 's area of patient safety because what we want to do is we want to go and set up in a church or in a school and and those places aren 't really conducive to uh, to provision of health care and, and i 'll explain why in a minute but uh, I think probably one of the things that illustrates that really well is Maria's story. Of, has anybody read my book and read Maria's story? I'm going to share it with you really quick because I think it's, it's a really valid uh, case for concern. There's a general medical team was serving a village community in Central America. Maria, a 29-year-old mother, arrived with, uh, with five, she arrived with five of her children. Uh, at the clinic pharmacy to receive her medications after having seen, her, having her entire family seen by physicians. Excuse me. Of, Maria had prescriptions for herself, and each child she received a prescription for. She received parasite medications and vitamins for them all. In addition, three of the children were febrile, and two had been diagnosed with otitis media. So one was strep pharyngitis. So each, each of them also received prescriptions for Tylenol and for antibiotics. Maria waited patiently with her handful of prescriptions in the pharmacy waiting area. And the pharmacy line was long. Seventy-five people were waiting for prescriptions to be filled. There were also people waiting to be seen by the dental and medical and health education volunteers. So this is a big brigade-style uh, outreach clinic. Maria finally got to the pharmacy counter and her prescriptions were filled by a pre-med student under the supervision of a nurse and a paramedic. A paramedic provided instructions for each medication through a translator in the, at the pharmacy counter in front of a crowd of people where Maria was trying to keep her children from getting lost in the crowd. Dosages of medications were carefully explained to Maria for, uh, for each of her children and they were written down in her language, for her 12-year-old, 6-year-old, and 6-month-old child. However, Maria could not read. Uh, Maria received multiple medications in Ziploc baggies and of not child-resistant containers, and then she took them home to her one-room dirt floor home uh, where there was no place to store them away from her children. Less than a week later, after the team left, Maria, six-month-old, was brought into the public hospital in the region with an acute liver failure. You see, Maria had been giving her daughter the wrong dose of Tylenol for an, over a week and a half. So I think when we look at this, we have to understand that our, there are always unintended consequences of our good intentions. And we have to keep this concept of patient safety in uh at the center of what we do in healthcare missions, uh, I will say that 90 percent, and probably 95 percent, of the problems like this that occur in short-term medical missions could be eliminated by doing one thing: engaging uh, and supporting long-term medical mission programs, and not setting up in churches and schools. Of, but Let's look at the, the patient safety issues here, uh, if you would. Non-medical church volunteers are often used to fill prescriptions, and then instructions are given through translators by a nurse or a paramedic. Caregivers of children may receive several prescriptions, usually in Ziploc baggies, often receiving instructions in front of a crowd of people uh, where they're distracted and they can't, they can't focus. And uh, Those same caregivers then take those baggies of, of caregivers in the sense of young moms, uh, take those baggies of medications home to one-room dirt floor house with no place to store them safely away from their children. Patients often hold cultural beliefs about medications that further cloud their understanding, i.e. big pills are for big people, little pills are for little people, blue pills are for blood problems, red pills are for stomach problems, all kinds of different cultural beliefs that you're going to of, that you're going to run into. Don and Donny, uh, this is a, a long term missionary team, both physicians in the Dominican Republic, did a study in 2003 that uh, on the quality of short term healthcare projects. Uh, I mean, this was just one little finding in that, but in the state, they, they basically tell us that 36% of the patients seen by a recent healthcare team had shared medications with one or more people, some of whom were children. So, how do we how do we get around this? How do we improve patient safety in in our short term missional endeavors? Uh, probably the greatest barrier to uh, to patient safety is some of these assumptions. You know, one of we lack an infrastructure to provide care, and that's probably one of the biggest ones. of uh, Many long term programs attempt to provide patient care in in churches, and schools, and community centers, and and that's that's a a tough place to work of and the surgical teams often operate in facilities that lack surgical infrastructure of how do we how do we rethink that you know one of the biggest one of the biggest assumptions that i think is a barrier to patient safety is the idea that of uh, the idea that something is better than nothing and when we think about something being better than nothing is it when the, potent, when the something has the potential for harm. And we have to ask that question. And these are some hard questions, I know, probably for some of you. Some of you have been already engaged in rethinking through this stuff. If, if you haven't thought about it, this is, you know, these, are, these are some important issues to really think about. And I hope that by the end of today, we're going to give you some real good strategies on how to rethink some of, of this and really sustain the construct of patient safety in in healthcare delivery. The Donabedian, Abedus Donabedian was the the primary driver of, of healthcare quality improvement, of, and this has been in. He wrote his textbooks back in the 60s, and and this has really become the basis for the World Health Organization standards for patient safety in the developing world. Of, but you notice that there's you know you know his his model really looks like okay there's there's antecedent conditions, but the primary big Thing is, yes, there needs to be a process for care, but there also needs to be a structure through which that care is provided that is conducive to health care. And then there needs to be outcome, you know, uh, outcome-centered assessment, patient-centered outcome assessments. And how do you achieve that in a one-week short-term mission team that's set up in a church? Is that even possible? Talked about this, you know, the assumption, you know, the assumption. There's of of really something is better than nothing, but there's also another one that's really, I think, harmful, and that's that the quantity of patients that are seen on a short-term outreach uh, is more important than the quality of care provided to those patients, and and that's something that we need to be cognizant of as well. We want to come back to our churches, and we want to say that we've done something. So we saw. You know, we saw 500 patients in a week, and we gave out lots of medications, and we ministered to people, and we we got people saved, and they, you know, we saw you know many people come to you know come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and, uh, you, you know, I, I always wonder if in these situations where we're giving things out like medications, how sincere are the conversions that we create, and and is this, uh, is there a better way to do it? And I think there is. And I think that by the end of today, you're going to see that uh, we are not going to give you a bunch of solutions. In, in the second, you know, this is part one. Part two of this workshop, if you come back at 920, we are going to look at how do we uh, take some case studies and really break them down and, and have you guys provide some of the answers uh, in, in, in this So, we have a number of case studies like the Maria stories. Some of them are bad, like that. Some of them are good. But how do we rethink those to create strategies for long, you know, short term missions with long term positive impact? You know, I've got lots of, we've got lots of examples of short term missions with negative long term impact. But we want to rethink that. We want to create missions that have a long term positive impact on the communities. Why is this? Uh, uh, we call this ph- you know, the idea of pharmacovigilance is, is one thing that I'm really passionate about in, in healthcare missions and that we need to pay attention to uh, how we deal with pharmacy issues and this is one example of that according to the World Health Organization approximately 125 children per day lose their lives as a result of poisonings and the vast majority of these are pharmaceutical related so think about that I always wonder after seeing teams leave $40,000 worth of pharmaceuticals in a community with a very limited health knowledge base and Ziploc baggies, how much of that we as a Christian community are responsible for. And we have to understand that our missional endeavors are part of our Christian witness. So we have to look for excellence. We may not always achieve it. And we may not always do things right. And God is very faithful to redeem our, our, uh, our efforts even when we make mistakes. But we have to at least strive for doing it better. Uh, there's a number of studies that I cite in in my book about. I'm not going to take time to to look at this, but just kind of this idea of pharmaceutical challenges of, in in the developing world specifically. But understand that mo- you know, the most important takeaway from this is these. Child-resistant containers are cheap. You can buy duffel bags full of them for very, very inexpensive. Uh, I can, if you see me afterwards, I can give you a list. But if you just Google pharmacy supplies online, you can get lots of places where you can buy these child-resistant containers and make uh, make a big quality improvement of step right there. Uh, Ziploc baggies are never expect never acceptable for dispensing pharmaceuticals. Of drug dealers give out medicines in Ziploc baggies, not healthcare professionals. (laughs) Uh, So when we talk about how do we dispense this idea of pharmacovigilance, one of the World Health Organization standards that we've extracted directly from a program called Integrated Management of Childhood Illness is this idea of, of you know, how do, we, how do we do this in a way that's responsible? So there's a couple ways to do it. One of them is uh, we, we have private, private pharmacy consultation rooms, or we do those in the exam room. But we need to make sure, as a licensed healthcare professional, is, is helping mom understand these medications before she walks out the door with a handful of medicines. Does it make sense? We would always do that here. Uh, And and that idea of a private pharmacy consultation room says either we do it in the exam room or we do it in a private area where she's not standing in front of a crowd of people hurting her children like cats. Uh, It's just not fair, and and we're, we're we're asking for problems there. Obviously, each child treated should have medication dosage labeled for each child's name and age, and Remember, education before medication. But moms, most specifically, need to be able to verbalize the medication instructions, demonstrate measuring the dose, and you know, and, and administer the first dose there, ideally if possible. Problem is, is this takes time. So is that means fewer patients get seen, and people have a problem with that. Well, I would rather see one fewer patient, or two fewer patients, or 20 fewer patients, and know that everyone that we took care of. We did it in a way that honors and glorifies God. And we know that that the medicines we gave them serve their intended purpose of helping and not hurting.
1: Have you heard of the teach-back method?
0: It's a way of... um, uh, a method of following how to teach and make hmm. a patient say back to you, instructions so that you verify yes.
1: their understanding mm-hmm. and it's called teach back you yeah teach it's back
0: it, it, it's but. yeah it's it's kind of exactly what they're referring to here is how do we get mom to be able to verbalize and and be able to teach it back to us and show us that and verbalize that she can do it and she knows how to do it what I like about teach back is mm-hmm. that it really emphasizes that you're saying to the patient I want to make sure I've explained it correctly to you so that it makes the person feel
1: Um, Unashamed, or put on the spot,
0: I like that. I like um, that a a lot. Very supportive way of communicating. That's awesome. Great. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Of in the in the book, I kind of outlined four areas of best practice, at least from the global health perspective. Uh, We're not necessarily talking missionally at the moment, but of uh, well, I guess this applies missionally. But the idea of patient safety, health facilitation, you know, uh, facilitation of health development. Healthcare system integration and collaboration. I label that in the book stakeholder collaboration because you know there's oftentimes more stakeholders that are affected by, by your work in a healthcare work in a community than just the healthcare system, but primarily healthcare system integration and collaboration, and then community empowerment. But for today, we're going to focus on the one that's red: healthcare system integration and collaboration. Uh, when I, there are six primary basic guidelines within within the book, and all of these are evidence-based. Uh, they are extracted from World Health Organization guidelines. Most of them have a strong evidence base to support them. Uh, but number three is probably the one, like I said, that would eliminate 95% of healthcare problems in in the developing world, you know, or in in our in our efforts to do short-term missions. How do we integrate with healthcare systems that are already established. And one of the things that breaks my heart as, you know, as, as the director of a sending organization that staffs mission hospitals is that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of mission hospitals and health programs out there dying for help and support that have been largely abandoned by the uh, evangelical community, by the denominations that founded them. And then we want to go up and we want to set up in communities and churches. And these hospitals are dying. And and they're the the support mechanisms. You know, in Haiti, after the earthquake, it's a free Methodist hospital in Desilies, the same valley that I was talking about a little while ago. This hospital almost closed due to the number of short-term volunteer teams that were in the community after the earthquake providing free care. Their patient census went down to zero almost because there, every, everywhere you look, there was a volunteer medical team giving out medications in a community. So who's going to go to the hospital? And how is that hospital who provides some level of functional care, surgical services, and the only emergency obstetric services in the region for 250,000 women, how is that going to stay open if we're, we're impeding their business? But you know what if you went to most of those hospital if you went to most of those teams around there they didn't even know that hospital was there. The last time, not the last time but one of the times that I left Loma de Luz hospital, I uh, I got 2 miles down the road and there was a huge Baptist medical brigade setting up outside a church there. And I said, "Hey, did you talk to the folks down the street at the hospital?" And they said, "What hospital?" And you know, they have a huge what, what's your outpatient daily census, Jeff? Two
1: hundred twenty thousand a year.
0: So uh, consistent care with charts, with you know, ongoing continuity of care by by highly qualified healthcare professionals. Two miles away, they didn't even know it existed. Because there wasn't any forethought in there. They were taken there by a pastor who said, I want you to come and help build my church. Uh, so come and do a medical brigade here and not even cognizant of what's happening in the health system. You know, so across Africa, there are hundreds, literally I, on our list alone, hundreds of mission hospitals that are fighting for survival. And we have a vast community of healthcare professionals in the United States who want to serve and engage with uh, with short-term medical missions why are we doing it in churches and schools? why are we not working alongside the hospitals when I when I got into missions uh, one my my mission pastor told me one important thing that I that, that probably has stuck with me to this day and and it's something that that short-term mission community needs to hear, and that's that short-term missions have one purpose and one purpose only—to serve and support long-term missions. And we're not doing that if we're going with our own agenda. If our goal is to field a mission team to give us a good evangelical Mother Teresa experience, then we need—we shouldn't be going. Uh, the purpose of short-term missions is to serve and support long-term missions. We have to get that right. And if we miss that, we've, we've missed everything. Then it becomes about us. And there's over 4 million short-term volunteers left North America last year to go on a short-term mission trip. 4 million. Are they really doing missions? Or are they doing tourism? If we want to do missions we need to learn how to support the long-term missions that are out there and if we're medical you know if you're a surgeon if you're an anesthesiologist you shouldn't be handed out medicines in a church you need to be in a hospital where they can utilize your skills knowledge and ability to its maximum impact for the kingdom of god i'm going to skip a few through a few slides here of and then I'm going to bring up Dr. Jeff McKinney, who is, because I want you to hear his perspective on things. Jeff uh, and Rosanna are the founders of Loma de Luz Mission Hospital in Honduras, the one I just mentioned. And uh, but that's of my book. I have a bunch of them at the uh, at, at my booth. I'm happy to share them with you. Uh, they they go for about 18 bucks on Amazon. I've got a bunch here. I'll give them for what it costs me to print them, which is 10 bucks of if they I think you'll find them that maybe they'll be of help to you. But I'm going to ask Jeff to come up and talk about the receiver end of of missions and and from a missional perspective as well. I've talked a lot about the patient safety, but but you know I want Jeff to talk a little bit about, you know, what does it look like to do long-term missions and and and, and what are the you know and, and engage how this looks missionally and how you guys can support long-term missions. Now, obviously, you know Loma de Luz isn't ready to handle you know, 50 medical teams from, from this room, but there are a lot of opportunities to plug in at different hospitals and health programs. And there's a lot of organizations out there that can help you identify those. We're one of them. I, can, I, I don't want anything for that. I, just, I can give you a whole list of mission hospitals that would love to probably communicate with you about how to engage with them. And support what they're doing instead of trying to reinvent the wheel and do things in a way that isn't, you know, that, that that's could, has the potential to cause harm. Uh, so at this point, I'd like to invite Dr. Jeff McKinney to come and share with you uh, a little bit of that from his perspective. After he's done, uh, we'll take some, probably have a few minutes for question and answer, and then. Uh, Session two, we're going to get into really looking at some case studies and having you guys come up with some strategies.
1: Hmm. Man, having to do two microphones is double the fun. Um, Greg's been talking about the health delivery half of short-term medical missions and long-term medical missions. And um, my job this morning is more the mission half of medical missions. And uh, we're at a missions conference and um, I'm a missionary, and Greg is the head of a uh, mission sending organization. But have you ever asked yourself and then wrestled for the answer of what's the mission? Um, what's the mission in missions? I've been slowly working at that question for about 42 years now, uh, ever since. I committed to follow Christ and rather begrudgingly set out to be a medical missionary. Um, In that period of time, I've worked in and learned from medical missions in Asia and Africa and North and South and Central America and the Caribbean. And uh, I've learned a lot about missions from my wife who grew up as a mission kid, in Italy, um, and uh, I I can tell you that the commonest thought about missions is incomplete. Um, The commonest thought, I suppose, is that our mission as Christians is evangelism. And that if you add an S to that, and we're talking about missions instead of mission, uh, that maybe that evangelism is overseas uh, evangelism. And if you ask someone who's a student of the Bible, they may talk about the Great Commission. And if if you pin yourself down uh, what's the great Commission is it uh, the last words that Jesus said at the end of one of the gospels and is it Matthew or is it Mark um, and you come away with an idea that it is that it is to go into all the world and evangelize and that's true but it's akin to uh, defining a boat as something that floats on water from a Scriptural uh, perspective. And a boat is something that floats on water. But so is a block of ice, and so is a patch of seaweed, and so is a piece of wood. And if we don't wrestle for a thorough uh, answer to that question of what is the mission, then we're just as likely to set sail on a patch of seaweed or a block of ice. and they don't get you where you're supposed to go. The um, the idea that that uh, there is a great commission comes from Scripture, but there's more in Scripture about mission, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to uh, I want to consider the mission that is clear in Scripture, and that there is more than the Great Commission. The Great Commission really is a kind of a a modern uh, concept in Christendom. Uh, The first that I find it is mentioned in a pamphlet by uh, a Dutch missionary of the 17th century, uh, Justinian Welts, and then William Carey kind of popularized and the idea, um, at least that uh, that it was vigente, that it was uh, ongoing, that, that our calling to missions has not uh, gone away with the first century. And then um, <coughs> further talked about... Um, by Hudson Taylor in the 19th century. So, uh, the 17th century, the 18th century, Hudson Taylor with a great quote in the 19th century. This is, uh, this is how this idea of the Great Commission came to us and, and there are Great Commission churches and Great Commission missions, um, but it is not exactly scripture. It's just not enough. Uh, And the uh, things that I find when I have studied and uh, prayerfully thought about mission is that there are really uh, at least five distinct commissions directly from the risen Christ that we find in Scripture. There are at least ten other uh, directives given by either Jesus or the Apostles. And they make up somewhere between 10 and 17 commissions that we're all commissioned to do. And I'm going to give them in no particular order. But I'll start with the great commandment. And we know that it's the greatest commandment because Jesus said it was the greatest commandment. That we're to love the Lord our God with all our... Heart and soul and strength and mind and our neighbor as ourselves. And the uh, the second that I find is that we're to remember the poor. Um, there was uh, at the end of of Paul's first missionary journey, the beginning of his second missionary journey. Um, Paul and Barnabas and Titus met with Peter and James and John and formed something that was called the Jerusalem Council, and reviewed what Paul had been, what gospel Paul had been uh, carrying out to the Gentiles, and considered if there was something more that needed to be uh, needed to be part of the mission and the uh, pillars of the church. James and Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave to Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship and they recognized the grace that was given to me. And they asked, all that they asked uh, in addition to that gospel was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that Paul said that he had been doing uh, in the previous 14 years of his ministry. So we find that... Uh, One of the the earliest sending outs was from the the pillars of the the first century church in Jerusalem to Paul to remember the poor. I find that to be one of the commissions. And again, all of these commissions are great commissions. They are all scriptural. Love the Lord your God. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember the poor. James, the brother of Jesus. Um, in uh, the uh, first chapter of James says that pure religion or pure religious practice, pure worship of God (coughs) is to care for widows and orphans in their distress and to live a moral life. Uh, Kind of part and parcel of the same thing. This is part of the Great Commission. It is a Great Commission. The Great Commission has at least ten parts. You can count them on your finger, and I often do to myself, to remind myself of what I'm about. <clears throat> the live a moral life is is, um, is an important thing to remember that if we are out as, as missionaries, short-term or long-term, and yet uh, are found to be uh, intoxicated on alcohol or doing drugs or uh, sleeping with someone who we 're not married to the all of the witness that we can do with the rest of the commissions is just going to bring shame upon the kingdom of heaven and uh, and it is it is uh, an undergirding truth of all of the rest of the commissions that while we care for widows and orphans in their distress, we also must live a moral life. The, um, Paul, uh, writing from Macedonia, back to the church in Corinth, wrote that God... In Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, hath committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. And now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And he's saying that we, Christians in general, are ambassadors to Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, Christ said, be ye reconciled to God. So, the ministry of reconciliation is part of the commissions that we as missionaries are called to. The reconciliation of man to God and man to man. Um, So, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, remember the poor, uh, care for widows and orphans in their distress, uh, live a moral life, and carry the ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors for God out to a lost world. Uh, the the Gospels in both Matthew and Luke um, recount the sending of the Twelve and the sending of the Seventy. And in both of them, Jesus told his disciples to heal the sick. And this is closely tied to another one of the commissions, to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of heaven to proclaim the the gospel and so healing the sick is an integral part of the commission that all together is the great commission of the ten uh, dozen different commissions that um, are part of the great commission includes healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons Uh, and while you're doing that to proclaim That the kingdom of heaven has come close to you. The um, the thing that has come to be called the Great Commission is uh, is really the second that was given by Jesus, the risen Christ, uh, after the resurrection to his uh, disciples. The first there that was uh, that I just mentioned that's often called to go into all the world and preach, is really go into the world and proclaim, found at the end of Mark, and go into all the world and teach uh, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things, uh, whatsoever I've commanded you, is really four parts to it. Go and teach Uh, The first teach there is a specific word that is teach in the sense of making disciples. And so we're to go into the world and make disciples. And then teaching them all of the words that I have taught you is another different word for teach, which is more like instructing. Uh, So we're to make disciples and to instruct them and we're to baptize them. So even the one great commission is not just evangelism, it's really making disciples and teaching them, and baptizing those disciples. Um, finally, the uh, the risen Christ in the first chapter of Acts called us to be witnesses, to testify to the kingdom of heaven. He um First had had appeared in the end of mark to the eleven disciples uh, at a meal, and that was the proclaim the good news he had appeared again in Galilee on a mountain that he had before he had even died he had, he had uh, tell, told them to Uh, After I'm dead, we'll meet again on a specific mountain. And that's when he gave what's called the Great Commission, where he told them to make disciples and to instruct them and to baptize. Uh, And then finally, uh, another appearance, when they're all gathered again together uh, in Jerusalem, he appears to them and and tells his disciples that they're to uh, go into the world And that you'll be witnesses to me, and you'll be witnesses to me first in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the world. And that all of these commissions are to be done, as best I can tell, in all of these places. And if we look from the disciples' perspective, Jerusalem is where they were. It's where they were living at the time. It's like in Louisville. Uh, and then Judea would be the region, would be like in Jefferson County, and Samaria would be out in the state, and then the uttermost parts of the world is still the uttermost parts of the world. As best I can tell, all of these commissions are given to all of us Christians, uh, whether it is in our home city or our county or our state or uh, across the world. These are the things that we are to be involved in all of the time. The um, Love the Lord your God. Remember the poor. Care for widows and orphans. Live a moral life. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Drive out demons. Carry the... Ministry of Reconciliation as Ambassadors for Christ. Make disciples, teach them, instruct them, baptize new believers, and proclaim the gospel. Um, These are, as best I can tell, this is what the mission is. And I would just ask you to stop for a moment and think, can you do all of those things? Can anyone do all of those things? In a one-week team, can you really make disciples? Can you really instruct those disciples in all of the things that, um, that Jesus has taught them? Can you really care for widows and orphans, uh, minister to the poor? Uh, can you accomplish these things in a vacuum, disconnected from an ongoing work? I think that it would be extremely difficult to do that. Um, I have seen that it's extremely difficult to do that unless you're connected to an ongoing work where that is taking place. Um, So, that helps me to answer the question that was set to me, the, the topic that was set to me of, The topic that was set to me of what are the characteristics, the attitudes that long-term missions should look for in the short-term volunteers that we receive and sponsor who work with us, I found that to be a really difficult uh, thing to answer, a difficult question to answer, unless you first answer the question, what's the mission? And if you uh, have an answer to what is the mission that is a thorough answer and it's a scriptural answer, then the answer to this question for me is easy. And the answer is what we are looking for in short-term mission volunteers is to help us to accomplish these commissions, to help us to accomplish the mission. And when we all know then what's the mission, um, uh, this becomes much simpler. To love the Lord your God, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, to remember the poor, to care for widows and orphans, to live a moral life, uh, carry out the word of reconciliation, heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, make disciples, instruct them in all the things that Jesus had taught, proclaim the gospel, and be Christ's witness in a lost world. This is our mission. And the the thing that we're looking for in short-term mission teams is help us to carry out that mission. Um, in specifics, this We found at Loma de Luz that that we needed to look for the big picture of what are the goals that we're hoping to accomplish with short-term mission volunteers. And the goals that we um, came up with that that, uh, stood the test of time were that we needed them, we wanted them to contribute something that was worthwhile. We wanted them to do a real job. Uh, something that needed to be done and that that something that needed to be done was uh, something that was identified by the workers on the field. It may be great to do a, a vacation Bible school or a puppet show but if we don't really need a puppet show or another puppet show or another vacation Bible school and what we really needed was somebody in the bodega to sort out the screws from the nails and put them into trays, uh, we are looking for short-term volunteers who are willing to, short, <laughs> to sort out the nails from the screws and not put on a puppet show. Um, and we find that, that when short-term volunteers have meaningful work, uh, it's, it is uh, something that ministers to them as they minister, that it works for them also. Um, it's <clears throat> It's not like getting a gold star for participation it's it's really knowing that you really accomplished something Uh, we a second thing that we a goal that we've set for short-term volunteers is that they uh, develop relationships and develop relationships with the with the missionaries that are there with our employees with the uh, other people in the community with patients and this is again a pretty difficult thing to do if you do if you're trying to accomplish that in one week in which you never return so it it lends itself to developing relationships takes time so come back again short term volunteers that uh, come back a second time a third time that that become committed to a place are much more likely to be able to develop relationships with the missionaries that are there, with the patients, with the employees, and with the uh, neighbors in the the community. And then finally, we want those short-term volunteers to return where they come from uh, and return telling their neighbors and their friends in their churches about what they've seen the Lord doing in the place where they went to. Uh, we want them to, to return be, as ambassadors for the work. And we find that this then uh, helps us to do the mission, and it, it, they then contribute to the ongoing mission so that we're all, uh, we're all doing what the Lord sent us to do. On the, the part of the short-term volunteer, from their perspective, we find that this requires them uh, to get your assumptions correct and that your assumption should be that you're going for a short period of time to help out in God's work that's an ongoing work and that you're going to <coughs> to help someone who's been called to that ongoing work and so be a good servant Um, Help, And if you're asked to sort out the nails from the screws instead of put on a puppet show, and you'd really want to put on a puppet show, well, you're a servant of an ongoing work. You're a servant of God's ongoing work, uh, and act like it. Uh, Do what you're asked to do. We find that those short-term volunteers who have prepared the most – have the most impact, and so prepare ahead of time. And really, the more preparation, the better. We also find that um, that the short-term volunteer that this cost them something uh, is is able uh, is going to give a better sacrifice to the Lord. David, I often think of uh, on this question, was offered. When he was to set up the Ark of the Covenant, he was offered uh, by of the Jebusite. He was offered the oxen and he was offered the, the wood and he was offered the, the land to, to set up the Ark of the Covenant and to, to make a sacrifice to God. He was offered it for free. And David said, I would not offer to the Lord my God a sacrifice of that which doth cost me nothing. He understood that it costs to make a sacrifice. And uh, I think that whether short-term or long-term, what we have to offer up to the Lord is what costs us. And if it's, if, if it's all paid for by someone else, and it's fun, and it's free, and it's easy, you're not offering offering up to the Lord uh, something that costs you. And then, as missionaries, we also have... Um, responsibilities in this two-way street relationship and that we are to uh, get our assumptions right. Long-term missionaries' uh, vocation is not hosting short-term missions. Uh, Long-term missionaries' vocation is to cross-cultural Christian service among the lost in the uttermost parts of the world. And what is that service? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and and your neighbor as yourself, to remember the poor, to care for widows and orphans, to uh, live a moral life, to proclaim the gospel, to to make disciples, to instruct them in all the things that Jesus taught. Um, It is clear what the Scripture tells us, and we have to keep that in mind, that this is our calling, this is our mission. But at the same time, uh, short-term volunteers... I think we just ran out of battery. But short-term volunteers can and should be uh, allies to the long-term mission and close supporters and helpers uh, and ultimately ambassadors to the long-term work. And we, um, we as long-term missionaries need to find uh, and set aside ahead of time useful work for the short-term volunteer to do. Uh, We need to facilitate them in that work and we um, need to enable and empower them to go back as ambassadors to the long-term work. In that two-way relationship, we can together accomplish this mission, this great commission, which is not one commission of just evangelizing, but it is a list of clear-cut metrics, clear-cut ob- objectives that we find in the scripture, and it's the whole package that we're called to. And we just got to the to the nine o'clock mark.